Uh, last Sunday morning, do you remember what the message was? It's okay, I don't either. No. Uh, it was pseudo-spirituality. The, the fake spirituality. We're thinking about sins that we hide. And see, we come to church and you look good. I mean, those kids got up here and sang, didn't they look good? Don't you know when they go home, they don't act that good? <laughs> but, but they look good up there, man. And, and we can do that at church. We can look good. We can dress up. We can carry our Bible. We can walk in. I knew a guy who was selling drugs and cheating on his wife, and he'd walk into church holding his Bible, looking all spiritual. And uh, he wasn't, but he looked that way. And so sins that, that we hide... Pseudo-spirituality was one of them, that looks can be deceiving. This morning, we're looking at the most dangerous sins you will never see. Two of the most dangerous sins you will never see. Apathy and indifference. There's a spot in your bulletin to write some things down if you'd like. And we are going to use the scripture. But I'm going to start out not going right to the scripture and talk about the apathy in our culture. Uh, we live in a culture that encourages you to do as little as possible. Somebody has called it the Bart Simpson culture. Do as little as possible. On the job, work just hard enough to not get fired. At school, put in just enough effort not to fail. If you get upset, don't stay and work things out. Just leave. Just walk out on the relationship, whether it's your church or your job or your marriage. People get a little upset and they just walk out. That's our culture. And it does feel more prevalent today, but you need to realize this has been going on since the beginning of humanity. Remember Cain and Abel? Who were their parents? Adam and Eve, who, were their, who was their parent? God. God created them. He created them uniquely, individually, and the question we all wonder is, did they have belly buttons? Because every other baby has one, and it's a different reason why. But did they have them? We don't know, and we don't care. But when you get to heaven, if you remember that question, you can ask them then. Okay, the truth was, Cain and Abel were kids with the same mom and dad, the same home environment, the same cultural environment. And Cain got apathetic toward his offering, and he just decided to give his own offering regardless of what God was looking for, and he expected God to accept it. He wanted it to be good enough instead of doing what Abel did and doing the right offering that God wanted. The Old Testament is filled with times and places and people where the prophets of God were calling the people of God to love, honor, obey, and serve Him. And the people would for a time, and then they'd drift away for a time. And they'd have revival, and then they'd drift away. And they'd have revival and drift away. Even during a massive building project, uh, they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem in a day when there were no power tools. And they were rebuilding this wall, hoisting and hauling and cleaning out the rubble first and sorting through and then assembling. And, and uh, the nobles of, of the tribe of Tekoa were criticized by Nehemiah because various translations say 
They put not their necks to the work. They did not put their shoulders in the work. They did not lift a finger to help. They would not stoop to serve their Lord. They refused to work. So these were the leaders who were apathetic about the major project they needed to complete. But Jesus set a new standard. Jesus set a standard different than all those thousands of years of human history. Jesus was moved with compassion. And because he was, what does it mean to be moved with compassion? Yeah, you, you care, but you care deeply. So that if one of these kids up here, while they were up here this morning, if when they were leaving, they tripped and fell and popped back up, what would you do? You'd laugh. Come on. Don't act so spiritual. If they fell and popped right back up, you'd just laugh. But if they fell and came up with blood all over, their, their tooth sticking out this way, uh, then what would you do? You'd be moved with compassion. Several people would run up and pick them up. You wouldn't grab them and hold them at arm's length and say, whose kid is this? No, you'd want to help. You'd be stirred with, all right, you shouldn't do that, okay? All right, all right. Uh, but, but you should be moved with compassion to help, to minister, to make a difference. And that's what Jesus did. In fact, when he was moved with compassion, Matthew 9.36 says, when he was moved with compassion, he encouraged the disciples to pray that more laborers would come and help with the harvest. Matthew 14, when he was moved with compassion, he healed their sick. Well, I can't think of anything that's harder than being a parent or a grandparent and watching your child or your grandchild suffer with a terrible sickness. I, when Megan was a very little kid, she got uh, meningitis and was in the hospital, and I was, I was a wreck. I, I really struggled with trusting God because you know if I'd been in the hospital no big deal if Kathy'd been in the hospital it would have been great concern this is an innocent little kid not that Kathy's not innocent just say okay <laughs> he was moved with compassion and he healed their sick in Mark 6 he was moved with compassion and he taught them the truths of the kingdom from the beginning he put his heart into his work he didn't just show up and say, hey, you know, if you want to follow God. And by the way, uh, Jewish people do not try and convince you to become a Jew. People who are genuinely Jewish do not try and convert anyone. Their philosophy is, if you want to join with us, you will. If you don't, you don't. That wasn't Jesus' philosophy. He went to non-believers and said, come unto me. Come and believe. Come and be saved. He was moved with compassion and he put his heart into the work. Now, we're going to look in three different passages of Scripture. The first is in Romans 12. And in Romans 12, we're not going to read through the whole thing. We're just going to read, if you're familiar with Romans 12, it starts out with the challenge to present your body a living sacrifice. And then he goes into spiritual gifts. And then he talks about practical ways Believing in Christ should affect and change your daily life. That it would be part of your, your spirit, your soul, your heart as you serve God. And so we're going to jump down in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse number 9. 
Verse 9 says, let love be without dissimulation. What he's saying is, have genuine love. No hypocrisy. Let it be genuine, really love. Let love be without dissimulation. And then the next word in the King James, what is it? Abhor. What does it mean to abhor? Okay, have you ever eaten something that instantly made you throw up because it tasted so bad? You know, like the evil Brussels sprouts or something like that. <laughs> have you ever eaten something that's just like, whoa, ugh. Okay, the next time someone offers that food to you, how would you feel? No, no, get thee behind me. No, you, you just, you would not want to participate in that. You would not want to eat that. If your mom's fixing your birthday dinner, kids, and she fixed something you despise, you'd think, mom doesn't love me. Abhor is to really hate it, despise it. Abhor is not just, hey, be a little uncomfortable around evil. Abhor is not when you see evil on the television, you just say, oh, well, that's what our culture is. Abhor is you, you get rid of it. You turn off the television or you close your eyes and turn away. You can't even watch commercials today. Uh, but abhor that which is evil. Despise it. Have a passionate hatred for evil. Oh, but, but we're Christians. We're not supposed to hate. Actually, we are. We're supposed to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. Abhor what is evil. Um, a heartfelt response of hatred. And then cleave or cling to that which is good. I should have kept one of the little kids in here. Hey, Jerry, come up here and help me for a minute, would you, buddy? Okay. Your brother had to do this all the time, so it's good training. Grab onto my arm. Grab on both hands. Grab on. No, you got to put one over, one over, one under. Grab on really hard. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Cling. Oh, did you see? He slipped up. Oh, all right. Let's try it one more time. Ready? Grab on really tight. Right around. All right. Ready? Here we go. Cling. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. You can go sit by your mom. Cling to it. Cleave to it. This is not just, hey, be uncomfortable around evil things and prefer good things. Cling to it. Grab onto it. Now, what I didn't do with Jerry uh, was swing him out like this with his feet going out like that because I was afraid he'd land on Lynn and she'd come after me. Uh, but, but I didn't want him to get hurt. But cling, cleave, grab. This is not a, oh yeah, okay, I'll hold on for a little bit. But grab onto it. I told you the story before. Some of you never heard it. But there was a pilot. He was at 10,000 feet on his plane. And the back door came open. It was one of the old planes where the, the stairs were in the back. You'd load from the back end, and, and the, the stairs dropped down. Well, they couldn't land the plane safely with the stairs down. So the pilot said to the co-pilot, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to pull the steps back in and latch them. Uh, they didn't know why it came loose, and the pilot went back there and fell out. And everybody in the plane is screaming because the pilot fell out the back from 10,000 feet. And so the co-pilot uh, works really hard, and talks to the tower and they bring the plane in and he lands the plane and 
There's the pilot clinging to those steps. When the safety workers came to get him off, they had to pry his fingers off because he couldn't let go because he was clinging to it. The Bible says cleave to what's good. Cling to it. Not a passive, well, a little evil, a little good. You know, it's the yin and the yang. It all balances out. No, hate the evil. Cleave to the good. A passion, a zeal for it. Then verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another. This is devoted to and honor, preferring one another, a genuine delight and an eagerness to respect and help. You know, Jeff was talking about doing the handshake and crossing the church. And Kathy and I were actually members of a church at the time. We didn't know this was going on. But there was a deacon who'd sit over here. We happened to have a deacon sitting over here. And there was a deacon who was sitting over here. And our deacons aren't sitting over there this morning. Uh, but deacons on opposite sides of the room in the same church. And they never talked to each other for years. That can't happen here. It shouldn't happen anywhere. Uh, give honor to each other. Prefer one another. Verse 11, not slothful in business, not doing just enough to get by, not lagging in diligence, being diligent, having zeal, serving the Lord, or fervent in spirit and serving the Lord. Uh, fervent is enthusiastic and putting your heart into your job and your ministry. You know, sometimes when the kids know the songs, they know them really well, they really like the song, they just belt it out. You can just see them putting their heart into that song. And then verse 11, uh, or verse 12, rejoicing in hope. Uh, the hope in the Bible is a confident expectation. Not, I hope I win the sweepstakes, but a confident expectation. You know it's going to happen. Christ has promised it. You'll see it fulfilled. And, and so rejoice in that. What does it mean to rejoice? Is rejoice, uh, oh, that's kind of nice. Is a rejoice a whoopee? What would rejoice look like, Todd? Show us. Everybody's Woo! looking at all right. <laughs> Good job. That's what rejoicing would look like. Thank you, Todd. There's a reason why I didn't have Todd come up and hold on my hand. <laughs> I didn't want to fall over. So, uh, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So this rejoicing in the hope, and then when we're going through suffering and difficulties, we endure it and we hang in and, and we don't quit. We don't give up. We don't get offended and walk out. If our marriage is not the best, we work to make it better. If there's something going on at church that, that bothers us, we work to try and resolve it. If we're on the job, we put in the effort. We don't just walk away. We don't just quit. Enduring suffering without giving up heart. Patient in tribulation. Instant or steadfast. Persevering in prayer. Can I tell a story about? <laughs> Boy, our granddaughters love to pray. And, and what, Leah prayed that it would rain. And then this morning she said to Megan, well, I guess it worked because it rained a little last night. <laughs> Megan told her that. Is that how you pray? Well, I hope it works. No, you persevere in prayer. You talk to God. And hey, that's okay for a three-year-old. 
But for a 30-year-old who knows the Lord, their prayers ought to have a little more substance than that. Even a, a five- and six-year-old who knows the Lord should be able to grow and mature in their prayers. And so he's saying, don't just pray a little and give up. Don't just hope God does something. Persevere in prayer. D verse 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, being hospitable and generous toward those who need, letting your heart be stirred with compassion and doing something about it. You can't heal them, but you can help them. You know, Pastor Tom Petro up in Prescott Valley, their house just burned. And I talked to Tom earlier this week. At that point, the insurance company was not sure whether they were going to try and rebuild or replace. Uh, and so he didn't know yet. Um, but some people in the church have said, we'd like to help a little financially. So that'd be great. You give a little to me. You can put it in the offering, designate it for them. We will make sure that goes to help them because uh, he's lost study books and suits and your heart should be stirred. I'm not saying you need to give to Pastor Tom, but you need to give to somebody. It doesn't have to be Pastor Tom. could be Pastor Terry. Oh, it could be somebody in need. You give to help. You minister. Your heart stirred. Giving to the necessity of the saints. Helping those who are in need. And by the way, our church does that. Every month, or I don't know if we do it monthly or quarterly, Monthly, we send a check to the Casa Grande Emergency Assistance Fund that helps provide for people in need. We can't help everybody because the primary reason God has the church have money is to further the work of the Lord. But we also take a portion of that money and give it to our community to help people in need in our town. And, and we should be hospitable and generous to those in need. Verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Helping even those who hate you. See, Jesus changed things. Jesus didn't say, hey, be like Cain, give a little offering and then hope that's good enough for God. He said, be like Abel, put your heart into it. Give the right sacrifice. And Hebrews 11 said, Abel's testimony and his sacrifice, even though his life was cut short, his, his testimony still lives today because he put his heart into what he was doing for God. Now turn please to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. If you're familiar with Revelation 2 and 3, it's seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches. Some people try and say those letters apply to different eras of church history, but the Bible doesn't really say that. What we do know is that every age of history, there have been churches like these seven churches. And we're going to look at two of them, just little pieces of it, not the whole letter, not all the theology involved, but just to see what God wants to see in your heart. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. Uh, verse number two. Well, verse one says it's to the letter written to the church at Ephesus. Verse two. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Then jump down to verse four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He said, you're going through the motions. 
You're doing good things. Now, when the offering tray went around earlier, if you hadn't given online or some people give once a month or twice a month instead of every week, um, if you hadn't given and, and it went by, and uh, you don't put your offering in for good luck. You don't put your offering in out of habit. Sunday, write out the check, put it in the plate. You do it to give to the Lord. And see, in Ephesus, they were doing good works. They were laboring. They were toiling. But God said, you've left your first love. Their heart was not in the work. Now, any parent can tell you there's a difference between the work a child does when they want to and the work a child does when they don't want to. When their heart's in it, it's way different. I didn't like Little League growing up, partly because I was lousy at it, uh, but my, my brothers were really good. And when it was time to get ready for a game, they were ready. They were jumping up and down. They were ready. Uh, in Nebraska, we lived about four miles from where we'd play. Uh, my older brother asked Dad if he could please run to the game. He didn't want to wait for the rest of the family. So he ran the four miles to the game uh, and still did great. I rode the car and still did lousy. It was kind of weird. But, but he really had his heart in it. And God wants you to have your heart in the work. Not just do the right things, but have the right heart. Have the right motive. Focus on the Lord, pursuing him with passion and purpose. And then in Revelation 3, he writes to another church. Well, several others, but we're going to look at one. The church in Laodicea in chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Again, look at verse 15. I know thy works. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what he started out with Ephesus. And then he says that, that I would, you're neither cold nor hot. I would that ye were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, a historical setting helps us understand that a little. Laodicea was a center of trade routes, but Laodicea didn't have water of its own. They couldn't sink down wells and draw up water. Uh, it just wasn't available to Laodicea. So about six miles uh, to the south was a city called Deniz Denizli, Denizli, something like that. It's still there in southwest Turkey uh, is where it is today. It was called Asia Minor back then. And uh, so they built an aqueduct to bring that water those six miles. And uh, Denzali had uh, hot springs. And so when the water would start out there, it would be this hot spring water and it would go along and then it'd be lukewarm by the time it got to Laodicea. And then about 12 miles to the east, there was the city of Colossae. And Colossae was near the snow-capped mountains of Mount Camus. And so the snow would melt and the water would run down. And Colossae had beautiful cold water. Now, you realize today we're spoiled in America. We have refrigerators with ice makers. Most of the world doesn't even have refrigerators. And so we, we can have a cold drink any time. But even today in parts of the world, they can't. Well, in Colossae, they could have cold water. Now, some of you drink coffee. How many of you drink coffee? Okay. All right. How many of you like hot coffee? How many of you like uh, cold coffee, like iced coffee? How many of you love lukewarm coffee? 
couple did. They, even they know they're the oddballs, right? <laughs> the Lord, see, they have this hot water coming in from the south going up to the north. They have this cold water coming in from the east, and they've got nothing. In Laodicea, it's just lukewarm. And so the Lord said, listen, if you were cold or hot, we all like a cold drink, a hot drink, but it's lukewarm. And, and I've seen my dad grab a cup of coffee he thought was still hot and pull it in and they go, ooh, and spit it back into the cup, go rinse the cup out and make new coffee because he wanted it hot. And uh, there's people today who take, if it gets lukewarm, they throw it in the blender, a few ice cubes and zap, or they throw it in the microwave and nuke it to warm it up. And they either make it hot or make it cold. They don't drink it lukewarm. The people of Laodicea were just like their water. They were apathetic. They were indifferent. And Christ said it made him want to vomit. Now, you can't see someone commit the sin of apathy. You can't see them commit the sin of indifference. Uh, eventually, you can see it show up in their life, the habits and practices and things, but you can't see it right away. So I have a quiz for you here this morning about apathy and indifference, okay? Uh, you don't have to stand up if this applies to you, Okay. Do you have greater emotional angst? You know what I mean by that? Emotional pain or stress. Greater emotional angst uh, over feelings for your own health or your own personal problems than you do for the destiny of people who might not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Which causes more emotional angst? in your life. Now we know in the Apostle Paul's life, which did, Paul said, I can endure all kinds of pain and sorrow and suffering, and he did, so that other people could be saved. But the average Christian in America is more upset when their recliner chair doesn't work right than they are that their neighbors might be going to hell. Do you invest your life helping believers be more comfortable or trying to help unbelievers come to know the Savior. Kids, do you feel more frustrated about not getting your own way than maybe not being able to go to church on a day when you're sick? This is for kids and adults. Which would make you feel more stressful? If you had to go a week without Snapchat or Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, texting or video games, you had to go a whole week without any of that, or which would bother you more? Going without those things for a week, or if you had to go for a week where you couldn't get to church, or a week when you couldn't read your Bible, or a week when you couldn't talk to someone about the Lord. I had a really cool conversation about the Lord with somebody in town this week, brought up by the fact that he happened to know my daughters when they were about that tall. They were in elementary school. Do you keep a prayer list or a prayer journal? How many of your prayers are focused on helping people be more comfortable in this life 
And how many of your prayers are focusing on things of eternal value? Hey, when I'm sick, I appreciate you praying for me. But more than you praying that I get better, you need to pray that I be better, that I grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Physical illness is a minor setback, but spiritual apathy is a serious problem. When I was asking these questions, were you genuinely thinking about spiritual truths or were you thinking about lunch or something else? Apathy creeps in. You know what we found about water? What's the, what is it they say about water? What? I almost heard that, but not quite. It follows the path of least resistance. You can have one itty-bitty, tiny little hole that you really can't even see without your glasses on. And that water can go through that hole and destroy something. That's how apathy is. We, we drift away. Uh, Paul talked about, lest at any time you let this, let things slip, like you're supposed to be anchored to the Lord or your ship tied off to the dock. And if you don't stay there passionately connected, then that ship can drift away. And it, it starts just gentle, just a little bit at a time. And then it goes and it goes and it goes. And you can be drifting away from the Lord unless you're on purpose, clinging to him like Jerry was clinging to my arm. On purpose, grabbing on, holding on. Apathy creeps in every day. We must resist, recommit to the Lord, renew our efforts to grow, to serve, to minister every day. Don't let apathy or indifference take root in your heart. Push them out. Kick them out. Put your heart into the work, into the ministry. We have 80-year-olds in our church serving in children's ministries. Why? Because they put their heart into the work of God. So, what about you? Two of the most dangerous sins you will never see, apathy and indifference. You can't see them, but you can feel them. And when you feel them in your life, you need to get rid of them. Or they will destroy your ministry and your testimony. Thankfully, God allows us to repent and be restored at any time. You could be sitting here this morning saying, man, I've been apathetic for so many years, that's my middle name. You can change it today. You can decide, I'm going to today choose on purpose to move closer to the Lord. I'm going to draw closer to Him. I'm going to be more connected with Him because this is what He wants to see. And this is what I need to feel. We're going to sing a song called We Are Your Church. Seems like a great song to sing on anniversary day. The anniversary of our church and of our ministry here. We praise the Lord for 19 years of ministry here. We'll be celebrating that tonight. Hopefully you'll come and join us after the service tonight. 
we'll have some cake, we'll have a, a linger longer, so you bring something. Uh, as Ben said once, bring food you like to eat, then you'll always have something. I don't know if that was Ben who said it or not, but... Uh, but that, that wouldn't bother me. I can watch people eat poison. doesn't bother me at all. But listen, don't be apathetic. Get involved. Get engaged. Minister. Don't say, well, you know, I'm in my 60s, my 70s, my 80s. I've put in the time. No, it, maybe you can't come and help at the Iwana Circle. We do not want Lynn trying to run around the Iwana Circle. But you can be passionately in prayer during that time. You can be here for Sunday school and church and back tonight. Do what you can do and do it with your heart because that's what God wants to see in his church. Let's stand as we sing.